0: Hey guys, good morning. We are continuing our study through the gospel of Mark this morning. We're actually just going to jump right in. We are in Mark chapter 9. We're looking at verses 14 through 29. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. So if you would just read that with me. This is God's word. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you. But prayer. So I think immediately we see ourselves in this passage, in this guy's response to Jesus. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. And many of us, even as Christians, we struggle with doubts in our faith. And sometimes we can feel like we're the only ones who struggle with doubts. And what I'm hoping is that each week that you come to Salt City, that your mind begins to be more and more transformed by the word of God and less and less by the culture that we find ourselves in. One really fun thing that I've been doing lately at home is been reading through The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with my son Luke. That was a really fun transition that he's made. We were reading kids' books and all that for quite a while, and that technically is a children's story, but it's something really enjoyable for me to read as well. I'm sure most of you have either read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe or you've seen the movie. But one of my favorite parts toward the beginning of the story is when Lucy, this little girl, walks into this ordinary wardrobe and discovers that the wardrobe that she walked into doesn't have a back to it, but it leads to a magical land called Narnia. And as you're reading the book, you can almost see the expression on her face that at the same time says, I had hoped that a place like this existed and impossible. And it's been fun as I've been reading this book with my son to kind of not only read it again, but also see the story through his eyes. And I think as we come to the word of God, I hope you're coming this morning with the same anticipation. You hope that this story that we're reading is true. But I hope also this morning that you'll say impossible. And that's because what we're going to see is Jesus sort of bait us into this. I'm taking the big idea straight from the text. This is the big idea this morning. All things are possible for one who believes. Jesus wants to expand our horizons, broaden our minds, and allow us to see him as he is so that we see our circumstances as they are. So we're essentially gonna look at three different ways that we can grow in our faith so that we have this perspective that Jesus wants us to have. We're going to see that unbelief is natural, that anything is possible, and that even for the best of us, our faith is flawed. So let's just take those one at a time. First one, unbelief is natural. So Jesus comes back to his disciples from the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, sort of his inner circle of disciples, and apparently his other nine disciples have been down on the ground trying to cast out a demon unsuccessfully. And Jesus comes back to them, and they're in an argument with some of the religious teachers of the day. And this is what Jesus says to all of them. O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So he characterizes this entire generation, and I think the human condition, as faithless. It is our natural predisposition to be without faith, to believe that God can do and will do very little in our generation. And here's the primary evidence of this in our own individual lives, but more broadly in our society and in the society that Jesus walked and lived in as a whole. It's that we have this tendency rather than to pray, to argue. Our knee-jerk reaction when we bump up against difficult circumstances in our own lives or in the lives of people that we love is not to get on our knees. It is to try really hard to figure out how to get ourselves out of these circumstances. And so like the disciples with the scribes, we find the nearest person to us who will listen and we start to fight about it. We think we have the best idea of how to get ourselves out of these circumstances, and they think they have the best idea of how to get themselves out of the circumstances. And so we show that we really don't believe that God cares about us or that he's powerful enough to do anything about our circumstances because instead of simply asking him to intervene, we try to solve the problem on our own over and over And over and over again. Now, here's what I do and don't mean by saying that unbelief is natural. What I do mean is that it's our instinct. It's sort of our knee-jerk reaction. It's as natural to us as breathing in and breathing out to argue instead of to pray. But there's another sense in which unbelief is completely unnatural. And here's what I mean by that. It's unnatural in that it doesn't really work. It's no good in helping us deal with our problems. It leaves us anxious, worried, scared, and tired. But it doesn't do anything to get the demons out of our lives so to speak. It's kind of like trying to run up a down escalator. Is anyone ever tempted by that just right over here? I think you get to a certain age and you know that that's totally like socially irresponsible to be that guy, but almost every week you have to admit that you have been at least tempted to try to run up the down escalator. Now, I actually haven't seen anyone do this in our church except my own son, right? And when he did it, I partly scolded him and I partly internally approved of him and wished that I could have been the one doing it, So there's something completely natural in a sense about running up a down escalator in the sense that we all kind of have this desire to do things that don't really work and are wrong. But there's also a sense in which it's totally unnatural because the escalator is meant to make it easy for you to go down. And in a similar way, faith coming into the presence of God is meant to make our lives easier. We were made to be dependent on God. But we are like a child Running up the down escalator, fighting, trying, and getting absolutely nowhere. And that's because we're fighting ultimately against the way that God has made the world to be. It's a great tragedy, really, because God is standing willing and able to help us at each and every turn to answer the problems of our lives. And we instead are in arguments with each other. So this is what Jesus wants us wants to bait us into in this natural condition that we have of unbelief. He wants to remind us that anything is possible. He wants our eyes to widen a little bit and for us to see who he is, that anything is possible. So you remember, this man in this situation, as Jesus is sort of rebuking this whole crowd and saying, This is an unbelieving, a faithless generation, this man runs up to Jesus because he's especially desperate. His son has a demon. And he says to Jesus, If you can do anything, have compassion on us. And help us. This is a big if, right? If you can do anything. It's sort of an accusation. And underneath this exclamation, there's sort of a questioning both of the goodness and compassion of Jesus on one hand, but also his power. Saying, if you can, in other words, I don't really at the bottom believe that you can do anything about this. And Jesus is essentially incredulous. He is kind of angry. And he answers this way, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. I think in that if you can statement, he's like, do you realize who you're talking to? We've seen it over and over and over Again, this is God who has impossibly become human. If anyone can do anything to help anyone, it is Jesus. Secondly, he makes this statement that baits us into belief. He says, All things are possible. How often in our lives do we feel like this man, where there's something so pressing and so big and so urgent in our lives that we feel like that thing is the only thing that exists? And we become focused, even obsessed, on that pain or on that suffering, or on that trial, or on that relationship. And Jesus is, in essence, saying, move your eyes from your circumstance to the possibilities. If I am who I have been saying that I am, then anything is possible. It's not possible for you to do anything on your own strength, But it's possible for me to move this mountain in your life. But there's a condition, right? He says that it's for the one who believes. What opens up the possibility of God moving in your life is that you see it as a possibility. That you begin to believe that what you now hold to be impossible because of your unbelief is possible because of who Jesus says that he is. Now, have you ever had one of these sort of mind-expanding moments where you had believed that something is impossible and you stood with somebody on the mountaintop, so to speak, and they gave you a vision for something that they were seeing as a possibility that you had up to that point seen as unlikely or maybe even impossible. I remember having one of these moments with Troy Nesbitt. He came and spoke here a while ago. He's the leader of the Salt Network. And I remember standing on the stage with him at Cornerstone Church in 2010. There had just been a new 2,000-person auditorium built in Ames. And I was one of the new guys who was hired to help lead the college ministry called Salt Company there. And at the time, we had less than 1,000 people coming to Salt Company. And he stood on the stage with me, and he put his arm around me, and he looked out. And he said, one day, this auditorium is going to be filled with college students who are worshiping Jesus. Jesus. And do you know what was going on in my own heart and mind at that time? Two things. One was, wow, that would be amazing. And the other one was like, this man is insane. (laughs) I didn't believe that it could happen, but at the same time, I did believe that it could happen. And do you know what? As I've looked back at that moment, what I realize is that both of us were undershooting what God was going to do. Not only since 2010 has God in his grace filled that auditorium with college students from Iowa State, but he has also spread this vision for reaching college students across the Midwest and this church is even an example of that. So there's now 10 church plants in our network. It's as if I look back on that moment and I see Troy with his arm around me saying, one day God is gonna fill this auditorium with college students. And it's as if Jesus had his arm around Troy saying, you're not dreaming big enough yet what I've learned since that moment and I continue to learn every single day is that Jesus can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. He has all power at his disposal and he loves us more than we could ever dream. Here's the hang up, I think, for most of us. I think at bottom The reason that we're afraid to jump into this kind of optimism, this kind of faith, this kind of childlike trust and dependence on Jesus is because we're afraid that our brokenness will keep him from blessing our lives. We immediately begin to question because we say, if you knew the kind of doubts and fears, and unbelief that exists in the deepest recesses of my heart, there's no way that you would be saying that Jesus could do the impossible in my life. Here's what we see, this beautiful example of Jesus acting on behalf of a skeptic. We see that faith is flawed, Even in the best of us, even with the worst circumstances, even seeing Jesus face to face, our faith is still flawed. We have this beautiful confession of this man. Jesus says, anything is possible. This man asks him to heal his son. And then he says, I believe, help my unbelief. This is one of the more comforting confessions that we see in the Bible. Because I think we see ourselves in this confession. Some of you are like, I believe in Jesus. I really have seen him. I know that he can do the impossible. And you come to certain events or you read certain scriptures and your heart is reawakened to this fact, you've seen him do amazing things in your life or in the life of others. You're like, I believe. But almost as soon as you begin to step outside of yourself and look, and you're like, I do, I believe, I believe, I believe. As soon as that starts to happen, you start to examine your belief, you immediately realize that it's slipped through your grasp. And that doubt has started to creep in the side door. You're like, okay, does my belief count? Is it even real? Isn't belief supposed to be this flawless, shiny, beautiful diamond of a thing? Isn't faith the thing that saves us after all? So how are we supposed to think through this sort of thing? Well, we get a clue in the text, right? This guy responds with this sort of faith. I believe, help my unbelief. So what I would call it is it's like skeptical faith or doubt-filled trust. And what does Jesus do? Well, sorry, got to get your stuff together. Go home and work on your faith. I'm out. No, Jesus responds to this flawed faith by healing this man's son. What does that teach us? It teaches us a lot of different things. But it teaches us that Jesus is not calling us to have faith in our faith. He is calling us to have faith in him. It's not our faith, strictly speaking, that saves us. Eternally or from individual circumstances. It's Jesus who does. What faith does is it connects you to Jesus. Let me illustrate this for you quickly. I went to the Mall of America with my two oldest kids, and we went on a roller coaster. My daughter was pumped to go on the roller coaster. My son was scared. And it was like the dinkiest roller coaster there. And so we're in line, and I totally related to my son because I was that guy at his age too. So we're in line, and we're getting ready to go on the roller coaster, and there's only two seats together, so I had to sit behind my kids. And so we, we all ended up getting on the roller coaster, and we went on it, and we went around in a big circle, and we came back to the spot where we were. Now, my daughter got off the roller coaster Smiling and happy and excited. It was a great ride for her. And the entire time, she trusted in the roller coaster's ability to take her on the loop without killing her. My son, on the other hand, was not so sure. He was like gripping the bar and he was beyond the ability to scream, right? It's like, I'm trying to yell, but I can't. I'm just terrified. And so we get back to the place that we started. And you could say that my daughter's trust was flawless. My son's trust was deeply flawed. But do you know what? It didn't matter. All that mattered was the roller coaster's ability to take them from point A to point B. So much of the time in Christianity, we put the emphasis in the wrong spot. How is your faith is the wrong question. The right question is, who is your Jesus? Jesus is capable of bringing you through any circumstance at any time. He is so powerful and he is so good. And it does not matter if you are shaking with fear or if you are calm and at peace. As long as your eyes are on Jesus, he will take you to the desired destination. It might be bumpy, it might be rough, but he will get you there. He's an amazing Savior. Let me give you an example of this that I read this week. It's in C.S. Lewis's biography called Surprised by Joy. So C.S. Lewis, lifelong skeptic. He did not come to belief easily. The writers of the Chronicles of Narnia. And throughout the whole book, he's describing his journey of going from an atheist to a believer in Jesus. And this is what he says about his journey in the second to last chapter in the book. He's describing coming to know Christ. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. I did not see, then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to the prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. You see what he began to see? He saw that it wasn't the strength of his faith, it was the object. Of his faith, which would save him. He saw that his faith was flawed, that he was a doubt filled believer, but that God was far more kind and humble than he could ever imagine. If you are struggling with doubt this morning, if your mind is driving you crazy, welcome to the family. Jesus can save you. Okay, let me give you one last nugget to go home with, okay? I want to take you to the door of the wardrobe, the real door of the real wardrobe, to the real Narnia, okay? I want to bring you to the place where you can Most clearly, get your eyes off of your faith and get your eyes onto Jesus. I want to get you to that moment in the Bible where Lucy sees Narnia for the first time. I want to bring you to the resurrection of Jesus. The reason I want to bring you here is because at the end of the passage that we read, Jesus heals this guy's son, and we sort of end our passage with Jesus taking this guy by the hand and lifting him up, and it says that he arose, And what we see at the end of our passage is Jesus prefiguring his own resurrection. You see, there's this impossible situation, this boy with a demon, and he's lying on the ground convulsing. And Jesus, with a word, heals him, picks him up, and he arose. Which points us forward to an even greater death and an even greater resurrection. Mark 16, 1 through 8. This is where this whole book is leading us. It says this, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Don't you see? The most impossible thing has already happened. God has become human, has died in our place on the cross, taking all of our doubts and sins and fears on himself. And he was placed in this tomb and these women came to visit his grave and he was not there. He's alive. This church is evidence of it. Changed lives are evidence of it. And we can no longer have in our vocabulary that what he says is possible is impossible. Because if he is alive, anything is possible. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are alive. Would you this morning, would you just put your arm around each one of us And help us to get our eyes off of our circumstances, off of our pain, off of our suffering. And would you just look each of us in the eye? We believe. Help our unbelief. Jesus, you are greater than any person we could ever imagine. And we would like in our heart of hearts for you to use us to turn this city upside down. We would love to see thousands of people come to know you and churches planted and more salt companies started. The dreams go on and on. And thank you that by your spirit, you whisper in our ears, all things are possible for the one who believes. In Jesus' name, amen.